to Job 38. This is kind of like when you're watching one of those movies. You know, I, you know what? I'm just going to share what's on my heart because I was thinking about this today and I wasn't going to tell you this because it sounds really dorky, but I don't really care. There's this movie that the boys really like and it's got Superman in it. And I like it too. But it's, the whole point is they're fighting, they're fighting, they can't win. And the whole point of the movie is at the end, Superman shows up. And when Superman shows up, he just kicks everybody's butt and he just takes care of it. This is Job 38. Superman shows up. This whole book, we've been talking and battling and arguing and fighting over this and that. Finally, in Job 38, God shows up. And God says, I'm going to take care of the rest of this book. So for the next four chapters, we get God's take on everything. We're going to do 38, 39, and half of 40 this week. Next week, I am so excited about next week, because next week we get to study about the behemoth and the leviathan. Oh, man, I've been looking forward to that ever since we started Job. And next week, we'll finish up the book of Job, which is really fun because then in two weeks, in two weeks, um, right, one week, two weeks, we'll be uh, going for Thanksgiving. And so you know what we normally do on Thanksgiving. We'll have our special Wednesday night service, but we'll have stop our studies, which will be done with Job. And we'll be having a, a special time of just uh, thanks and praise for what the Lord has done. And we're also going to do something new this year. Uh, I haven't cleared this with anybody yet, so I'm just going to assume I can. Uh, remember when we used to, before Thanksgiving, we used to have that little dessert time? Do you remember that years ago? Yeah. Uh, I, I rem- some, you guys, rem- no one remembers that. I don't care. Yeah, thank you, tweets. Thank you. Um, I was going to say, I've been out here. I've been out here 22 years. We used to do this. Well, we ended up not doing it. Things just got crazy and busy. We're going to do that in two weeks, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. This is nothing pressure, nothing big. Bring in a snack. Bring in a, uh, a dessert. Bring in fruit, whatever you want. And this is going to be after church, after church. Because what happens every Wednesday before Thanksgiving, people usually don't have to work the next day. People don't have school. And everybody just kind of sticks around. And I love that Wednesday. I love that Wednesday because it's just so laid back. It's just an evening of praise and thanks. And what better way to praise God than to go back and eat sugar and high fructose corn syrup. So back there in the back, we will just set up some tables. It's going to be laid back. We'll have some coffee. We'll have some juice. And after church is done, we'll just go back into the fellowship hall and just have some enjoyment, some snacks. Stick around for as long as you want and just be thankful. Be thankful for what the Lord has done in your life. So that's going to be going on two weeks from tonight. And uh, what a blessing. Hopefully what a blessing that is. So Job here, Job 38. Let's dive right into this. Verse 1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel? Now, And by words without knowledge. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Isn't this interesting? God comes. After all these chapters, okay, we've been going through Job here. After all these chapters, God shows up, and guess what God shows up to do? He does not show up to answer any questions. God shows up because he is the answer to the question. He's not here to answer questions. Justin, can you show that first slide? Let's just remind ourselves here a little bit of some of the stuff that Job has said throughout this book. These are some of the comments Job has said. Job 10, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? Job 31, ah, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. And then Job 23, oh, that I knew where I might find him, 
that I might come to his seat, I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. It's a lot of uh, pretty braggadocious comments by Job. If I could talk to God, I would sure tell him what's going on. I would present my case to God. He said in Job 31, if you remember correctly, he says, I will stand like a prince before God. Well, guess what? God shows up. But God never has to defend himself. So God is not here to answer questions. He is here as the answer to the question. If you remember correctly, last week when we talked about Elihu's speech, we talked about how Elihu kept saying, Job, it's not about you. It's about God. And we talked about how whatever sufferings you're going through, it's not about your sufferings. It's about how can God be glorified through what you're suffering in. And the same idea carries on here tonight because God's focus over the next five chapters is this. Know my power is what he's trying to say. Know my power. These are Job's demands. God says, nah, I don't need to do that. Instead of answers, I'm going to bring you questions, Job. If you count it up, there's about 70 questions God asks Job. About 70 questions. This is the pop quiz of all pop quizzes. I had a uh, professor in college, and it was a literature class, and she would give pop quizzes, and the pop quizzes were one question. And this is what she would do. We were required to do the reading. She would do a pop quiz. If you got the question right, you got to participate in class. If you got the question wrong, you were sent, and I'm not exaggerating, literally to the corner to read. And that's what she would do. One question, one answer, can you get it right? God shows up to give a pop quiz to Job, but it's 70 questions long. And guess what? Job can't answer a single question. That's why God says to him in verse 3, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. That word for prepare yourself like a man in the original Hebrew, it means prepare yourself like a warrior. What God is hinting here is, Job, you wanted to fight? Let's fight. Job, you wanted to go at this? You wanted to argue theology? You wanted to argue philosophy? You wanted to argue wise? Okay, we're going to do that now, Job. So gird up, prepare yourself like a man, and let's see what you have to say. First question, Job, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have any understanding, who determined its measurements, Job? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To where were its foundations fastened? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? That's a reference to the angels. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Okay, Job, let's just start right at the beginning. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's your first question, Job. Can you answer that? Nope. Okay, verse 8. Or who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set the bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. What makes the sea stop? God makes the sea stop. God says that's the boundary I set for this. So first question is, Job, where were you? And what you're going to see here in Job 38, the whole point of Job 38 is about creation. God's going to question Job on creation. The first few questions, where were you? What's his next topic on creation? How about verse 16? Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depths? So, so Job, my next question to you is, how deep is the sea? Do you know? Have you walked down that far to know how deep it is? 
Okay, so we're still talking about creation. Okay, Job, you mentioned all these questions about death and wanting death. Okay, verse 17. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Okay, Job, what, tell me what happens when you die. These are the next questions he wants to know. So what is the depth of the sea? What is death like? Verse 18. Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Here's the simple one. Job, just tell me how big the earth is. Just let me know. Now, we've said this many times out here at church before. If God ever asks a question, he is not asking a question because he does not know the answer. He is asking the question to make the person think. And most of the time when he's making the person think, he's not really looking for an answer. He wants the person to think. So when Jesus asks questions in the New Testament, it's never because Jesus doesn't know the answer. He wants to know what you think the answer is. So God's not taking notes here saying, Job, help me out. I don't know how big the earth is. He's saying, Job, do you know? Do you understand this? And not just about the creation of the earth or the seas. He gets into snow and hail in verses 22 through 24. He gets into more water. Then he gets into space. Verse 31. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Mazareth in its season? Can you guide the great bear with its clubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Okay, Job, look up in the sky now. Do you see the Pleiades? Do you see the seven sisters over there? Can, can you keep them together? See, we didn't find out about the Pleiades being kept together until much later, but they obviously knew about it back then. Can you loose the belt of Orion? Have you ever seen the belt of Orion? Orion's a nebula. It's beautiful. He says, can you take care of that? Or what about the constellations here? Verse 32, can you, can you take care of the constellations? Can you guide the great bear? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you set their domain over the earth? Can you, Job, do all this? I think we really don't have an understanding of how big our God is compared to how big our world and universe is. It just doesn't make any sense. Our mind just can't grasp it. The, the distances, the, the size is just so big that it's hard for us to put this in perspective. You know I love astronomy. You know I love this stuff. So the Lord gave an opportunity here. I just want to share a couple of things with you. It just amazes me. I got about four slides here, and I hope you can follow the logic of it. Dustin, can you go to the first one? This is a little bit hard to see. That's Jupiter, and that's Earth. That's Jupiter and Earth. Dustin, can you kill a few of the lights here real quick? So that's Jupiter and that's Earth. Jupiter, largest planet in our solar system. So there's Jupiter and there's Earth. All righty. So what's next? Can you go to the next one, Dustin? Sorry. Yeah. Hey, Dustin, can you go get me a uh, sandwich, too? Can you just... Okay. There's Jupiter, Earth, and our sun. So now you see how big Jupiter is to Earth. Now you see how big our sun is to Jupiter and Earth. Okay, how about the next one? Now here's Arcturus. That's our sun. Compared to Arcturus, over 16 times, 16,000 times our sun. So if that's Arcturus and that's our sun, you wouldn't even be able to see Earth. And go one more. Now we're up to Antares. Now if you can't see our sun, our sun is right there. That's how big. So this is what God's asking Job. Job, can you handle this? Can you take care of this? Did you understand the depth of the, how big this is? That's our sun. The tiny little dot down in the bottom left-hand corner is the biggest thing we see in the sky right now, which dwarfs us, which is dwarfed by Arcturus, which I showed you the picture of Arcturus. That one's right there. 
And then now all the way up to Ann Terry's. It's just, it's mind-boggling how big these things are. You can flip the lights back on now, Dustin. And what God is trying to say here in verses 31 through 33 is, can you handle this, Job? And the answer is no, he can't. He can't. So God starts out in chapter 38 very simply by saying, Job, gird yourself up. You want to argue? You want to fight? You want to question? Here we go. Gird yourself up like a man. Let's talk about this. And his first item is creation. Creation. Any quick questions, comments about this? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. It, it is that idea of there yeah, being springs in there at the bottom. We were just talking at our small group study um, Monday at our house about how when Jonah and Jonah chapter 2 went down to the bottom of the sea to see the mountains, they didn't know that existed. But in Jonah 2, it did. Ask the guy that sank to the bottom of the sea. You know, this is the point here. So often, I believe, as believers, we are afraid of science. When really, we have the greatest science book that's ever been written right here. And this tells us what we need to know. And, and it's amazing for me as a Christian, when I start reading about some of the stuff about science and space, it just confirms what I've already read in the Bible. It's just an amazing creation of God. And that's why God's first, I don't want to say first offense, because it makes it sound like God's on trial, but God's first point towards Job is creation. And you remember what God said back in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, he said, my biggest witnessing tool is Creation is creation. And I think as believers, we, we hide from that. No, I, I, I want to go up to a non-believer and say, look out the window. What do you think? I mean, if you want to talk about evolution, let's talk about evolution. If you want to talk about happenstance, let's talk about happenstance. But when I look out that window, I see a created environment by God. And I'm willing to talk about that any day of the week. That's God's greatest witnessing tool. And that's why the Lord says in Job 38... I'm going to start with this. What did he say about the flood in 1 Peter? It says in 1 Peter that as time goes on, people will willfully forget about the flood. And now as believers, we're just, we're just completely mocked for this idea of a worldwide flood and eight people saved and God starting over again. Well, Peter says that people are going to willfully forget it, especially as we get towards end times. This stuff shouldn't surprise us. But God says, I want to start out talking about creation. And Job, that's what we're going to talk about. And what an amazing start that is. Anybody else got any other questions, comments here before we go on? Okay. Now he's talked about creation. Now he starts talking about nature. Job, can you understand nature? And he goes through all this. Uh, Verse 39, do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Can you mark when the deer give birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Do you know the time when when they bear young? So, Job, do you know all this stuff? I mean, you can't see it. Do you know when they're going to have their babies? You don't know that. You may see the babies when they come, but you don't know. And then he goes on, he talks about goats, he talks about donkeys, he talks about oxen, and then he talks about ostriches. Isn't this fascinating? The Lord wants to talk about ostriches. So, what do you see here in verse 13? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly. The bird can't fly. But it waves its wings proudly. But her wings and pinions like the kindly storks, for she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without concern because God deprived her of wisdom 
and did not endow her with understanding. When she lifts her high on, when she lifts herself on high, she scorns the horse and its rider. Job said, he says to Job, Job, explain to me the ostrich. A huge bird with tiny wings that doesn't know how to take care of its eggs. Job, explain that to me. God's answer, she's got a small brain. God says, I didn't give her a lot of wisdom. Which is kind of a fascinating point, isn't it? Because does that ever make you stop and think that maybe some of these fascinating creations and creatures we see, God said, yeah, I just want you to enjoy them. I just want you to enjoy them. You know, we were outside playing football last week. And as we're outside playing football, we saw coming down the road two animals. You know, you don't know what they are at first. And as they get closer, you can tell they're two kittens. So now, we already have tons of kittens and cats. But the boys are watching them. And they're like, Dad, can we go out and grab the kittens? Can we do it? And I said, nope. They're not ours, obviously. They're coming down the road. And they're getting closer and closer to the house. Dad, can we run out to the road? No. I said, okay, if they come into our property, you can touch them. Once you know what those stupid kittens come right over into our house? Ten days later, they are still at our house. And I don't know where they came from, but wherever they were, whenever our door opens, they think they get to come in our house. But I tell you, it is just, you know, it's just fun to sit out there and just watch them. Watch them wrestle, play, jump, and then we got the this crazy animal kingdom at our house. So the kittens are there eating. Well, then the ducks decide they want to come eat, and then the chickens show up. I don't know what we got going on. But it's just fascinating to watch this interaction between ducks and chickens and, and goats. And then last night, Dawn went out to gather the eggs, and there's two skunks. You know what I mean? It just kind of, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? God kind of says right here in Job 39, take a look at the ostrich. It doesn't make sense, Job, does it? It doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Verse 17, I deprived her of wisdom. Just enjoy her, Job. But then you go to verse 19, the powerful horse. You know, I'm not a horse fan. I've never been a fan of horses. Um, you know, growing up, Dad had sheep and then Dad had pigs. You know, animals that served a very tasty purpose. You know, I, Dad always used to, it makes, it makes hay. So we love horse people because <laughs> you guys buy a lot of hay. But the idea of just a horse never really interests me. Our neighbors got a horse. And so they said, hey, why don't you come down and see the horse? And so I went down. And when you stand beside a horse, it is a majestic creature. still doesn't serve a purpose to eat, but it's a majestic creature. It's beautiful. I mean, it really is. And what Job is trying to say right here, excuse me, what God is saying to Job this horse is a majestic creature. And then he says one more in verses 26 through 30. Hey, Job, explain the birds. Can you tell me how an eagle flies? Can you tell me why a hawk heads south? You can't. You can't, Job. So you can't explain creation. You can't explain nature. Verse 1 of chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. I like how the New Living Translation says this. Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critics, but you do not have the answer. How quick are we to criticize God, but we don't have the answers? Lord, why did you fill in the blank? But we can't even answer creation questions. We can't answer nature questions. And so God says to Job, do you still want to argue with me? Because this is what we said. Remember the verses we put up at the beginning? Chapter after chapter, Job said, give me my shot with God. God says, you got your shot. 
Do you still want to argue? Job's response, verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Back during this time, to put your hand over your mouth was the most humbling thing you could do. Because it says, I I don't even want to speak. My hand's over my mouth. So Job is completely, utterly humbled here. But why does God continue? Job is humbled, but he's not repentant yet. See, jump ahead. We'll get to this next week. Jump ahead to chapter 42. Job answered the Lord, verse 1, and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who has hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent and dust and ashes. And in verse 7, it's over. God is just looking for Job's heart. So it gets Job's humbleness. Job humbles himself in verses 4 and 5. But Job's not repentant yet. There's another couple chapters here of God talking to Job. And as soon as Job is repentant, it's done. See, the, see we're going to get to that next week. But there's a beautiful picture of grace. Soon as Job repents, it's done. We were talking about that once again at the small group today with Noah. As soon as Noah says, I will repay my vows, I will do what I'm supposed to do, immediately... The fish spits them out. It's over. It's done. That, isn't that the beauty of grace? You screw up. I screw up. We go to the Lord. Lord, we're sorry. Okay, it's over. Forgiven. Forgotten. Oh, it's a beautiful picture. But Job's not to repentance yet. He's only to humbleness. Now, humbleness is good. Humbleness is real good. It's really difficult to define the word humbleness. It's one of those things I think that we can see it and we know it. But how do you really describe it? The word literally means in the Hebrew to get flat down on the ground. To be humble, to be laid low. And this is something the Lord wants to teach us. James says in James 4, verse 6, But God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There has to be a humbleness in us when we're approaching the Lord. If we think we're all that with the Lord, he he won't work with pride. You know, God has worked with adulterers, murderers, lack of faith. And he's worked with all these people. He won't work with somebody who's prideful. According to Isaiah 14, that's how Satan fell. Satan fell because of pride. And God says, I won't work with that. And that phrase, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, you've heard us say out here many times before. If it's said once in the Bible, it's obviously important. If it's said twice, you better be paying attention. If God quotes the same verse three times, you better be marking that. That verse is used three times in the Bible. God is trying to get a point across that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We have to realize who we are in the Lord. We are nothing. Nothing. Which makes the idea of grace even so much more amazing. There is nothing we bring to the table. Nothing. And I think every now and then we think we bring something a little bit. Oh, I know why the Lord uses me. You know, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at leading the study. I'm really good at leading the worship. I'm really good at serving. No. No. God used a fish with Jonah. He used a donkey with Balaam. He doesn't need us. Can we humble ourselves to the point of saying, Lord, I'm I'm nothing. But humbleness is difficult. Remember me telling the story, there's a guy that comes out to church here that has a shirt that says humble and proud of it. You know? Sometimes we're proud about being humble. Who was the most humble man that ever lived? Remember? 
Moses. You know how we know? Because in Numbers 12, Moses wrote that he was the most humble man that ever lived. Do you ever think about that? Check it out. Numbers 12. Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. It's right there in the Bible. And who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. Now, how do you define that? Now, obviously, it was led by the Spirit. Can you imagine Moses writing that? The Spirit's leading him. What? I'm supposed to write him the most humble man that ever lived. God is looking for humbleness. In Psalm 25, verse 9, the humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. There's a lot of times where people come up to me, and they don't know what the Lord's leading them to do. They don't have wisdom. They don't have guidance. They need to be taught. According to Psalm 25, you need to be humble first. You know, the phrase I use is, do they have a teachable spirit? Are they willing to be taught? Job right here, verses 4 and 5, he is humbled. He's willing to be taught. I'm not going to answer you, Lord. I'm not going to try to speak. I, I will just trust you. So God continues on. Verse 6, And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Don't you think at this time Job's like, No. But round 2, verse 8, Would you indeed in all my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Job, will you... Will you try to go against my commands? Because that's what you're trying to do, Job. See, Job, I have power, verse 9. Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like His? He's just trying to remind Job, Job, I am the power here, not you. I am the power here, not you. Now, it would be easy to take these passages... And think that God's just a big bully. See, I don't look at these, these chapters in any way whatsoever like that. I see Job building up to chapter 31, almost this pride. And we've mentioned this verse so often. I will stand before the Lord like a prince. God says, yeah. The other day, Elias came up to me. He's 10 years old now. And he was pretty sure that he could beat me in a fight. So I said, okay, let's go. And uh, we have these little rankings because there's these little games we play. And so he said, I want you to be a gold level, elite seven, level 50. That's the highest you can be in the Irvin house. So if you come over to my house and I say you're an elite seven, level 50 gold, that means you're pretty powerful. He goes, I want you to go full, Dad. So I sat on him. I mean, I, I, I outweighed the kid by 140 pounds. I just sat on him. He couldn't do a thing. I mean, this is, this is God sitting on Job. I mean, this is what it is. There's going to come a time and a place where he's going to be stronger than me. That, I understand that. But at right now, I just need to sit on him. And I can beat him. God shows up to Job in Job 38. <laughs> Job, I'm just going to sit on you. Now, I wasn't hurting Elias. I wasn't just trying to beat him. I didn't want to leave bruises or anything. I just wanted to remind him. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I look at Job 38. It's God just coming to Job and saying, Job, I just want to remind you I'm bigger. I'm stronger. That's all, Job. Because if God really wanted to make a point to Job, he would have just taken Job out. But he wanted to teach Job. And so the last passage for tonight, verse 9, Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like his? Job, do you have power like I have? Can you explain creation? Can you explain nature? Can you explain space? No, you can't. Job is now humbled. And then when we get to chapter 42, Job is then now repentant. But that's where we're at right now, which sets us up perfectly for next week to get into God's creation here of the behemoth and the Leviathan. 
And it's going to be a fascinating study, I hope, on what those two creatures could have been. Because it's interesting, when God comes to his final arguments, if you will, he finishes with those two creatures. Obviously, God had a big plan for that, and those were the things that he wanted to finish with. Now, before we get to our final passage here, anybody got any quick questions, comments about anything? Ryan. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, I think King James is the only one that mentions the term unicorn. And that will pop up. If you ever get into a discussion sometimes with somebody who's an atheist or they're anti-God, one of the first things they like to say is the word unicorn is in the Bible. Um, and that is in the King James Version. You know, my version here in Job 39, New King James, talks about the wild ox. And can you bind the wild ox in the furrow with ropes? You know, my personal opinion on that, and I understand what you're saying here, and we're going to get into some dinosaur stuff next week, you know, in the context of Job 39, I don't think he'd be talking about dinosaurs because when you kind of look at the context of it, he's talking about everyday nature. There are donkeys, ostriches, stuff like that. It seems like he's ad- saving the big stuff for 40 and 41. My opinion on the translation of unicorn is I just think it's a bad translation there in the King James Version. That's just kind of my opinion on that. But Brian brings up a good point. Some people have looked at that passage and looked into that and maybe thinks it could be some type of other creature or creation there. <laughs> um, you know, I never know what you guys are going to ask. Um, yeah, there could... See, here, here's the thing. Okay, before I answer the question... This is going to be the lesson. This is going to be the lesson that finally somebody says, sure, I'll try out Harvest Fellowship. And they're going to get online. They're going to listen to this. They're going to get to this point right now. They're going to hear me say this. You're right, Marv. There could have been unicorns. I mean, there could have been. I, I, there could have been unicorns. And because God could. That's quite possible. I, I can't put God in a box. His creation is unique and everything like that. What has happened nowadays is when we think of unicorns, um, we think of uh, rainbows and we think of unicorns, you know, flying across the sky. There could have been a unique creation of an animal that was one-horned. It could have been a unicorn. And maybe King James got it right. And, I, and I'm not saying that mockingly. I'm just really saying the Lord could have done that. We don't know. Because we're going to get into chapter 40 and 41. We're going to get into the behemoth and Leviathan, which are very unique creations of God as well, too. Um, I don't want to put God in a box. So there you go. Quote me. Could have been unicorns. Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why the New King James went with the phrase wild ox along that type of line. I don't have in front of me NIV or New Living Translation. What's NIV or NLT say for that? Wild ox. Wild ox. All right, anybody else have anything here before we close up? Okay, go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 1. That's what I want to finish with here. You know, in our study here through Job, uh, we've always tried to end every message here with something a bit encouraging because it's very easy in the book of Job 
to be downcast by this. In the middle of the book of Job, Job had some pretty depressing statements, some pretty depressing thoughts. And we've had those too. If you remember correctly at our beginning in our study in the book of Job, we said, imagine your deepest, darkest times, your thoughts being recorded. And that's what was going on here. Now, what we have as we get to the end is the Lord's perspective on stuff. And it's really easy here to look at Job 38, 39, and 40 as this idea of God trying to put man in his place. And I'm okay with that. That's why he started out by saying, Job, where were you? Well, let's look at how God really looks at us. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Listen to God's description of you and I. Verse 26, I'm not wise, I'm not mighty, I'm not noble. Verse 27, he calls me foolish. I'm weak, I'm shameful, verse 27. Verse 28, I'm debased, I'm despised. And he just sums it up in verse 28 by saying, I'm, the, I'm nothing. That's God's description of me. And I'm okay with that. Why? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, he has chosen us, and we are nothing to remind us that when we stand before the Lord, there is nothing in us that we can say, Lord, you saved me because of, or the Lord uses me because of. No, you're, we're nothing. And this is not some depressing, discouraging, I'm walking out of here and James calls me nothing. This is love. We're nothing, and he still loves us. We're nothing, and he still wants to use us. We're nothing, and he wants to have a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? Verse 30, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So if you want to get boastful or glory something, it's got to be God. Because it's absolutely nothing. And this is the point that Job is learning. This is why he was humbled. As he had to reach this point of humbleness first to realize, I don't have all the answers. I'm not a prince standing before God. And I'm not going to have a trial court case with God and win. I, I can't even explain where creation came from. I'm nothing. But is that the beautiful thing? Is that even though we're nothing, God still loves us and wants to use us. So if you ever get on that little pity party... I'm not that smart, I'm not that mighty, I'm really weak, I'm really foolish. Yeah, you're not surprising God. He already knew that. And he still wants to use you. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of mercy. God gets all the glory because there's nothing we can bring to the table. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up? Alrighty, next week, Behemoth, Leviathan, final chapter here in the book, of, excuse me, final chapters in our study in Job. Uh, that means two weeks is our special uh, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving service, a time of praise, a time of prayer, a time of Thanksgiving. And also, don't forget, mark it down, bring a snack in that night, bring a, a treat, bring something fun in. We'll go back into the fellowship hall after church, we'll stick around and we'll just have a little bit of fellowship and some fun there. So, hey, let's pray and let you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being a God that loves the nothingness of us. Thank you for being a God that loves this foolish, weak, debased, shameful thing. And you still love us, Lord. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. And thank you for being just God. Ah, oh, Lord, we love you. We lift this up in your name. 
Amen. Hey, we'll have a time of prayer up here after church. And you guys have a good week and God bless.